that's where B2B kind of goes wrong, to be honest. Um, So what they do a lot of times, and it's unfortunate, is they don't expose the details that you as a buyer will need to be able to complete a transaction. And so, um, you know, they'll gate content, they'll do other things that they think are being very helpful to their internal business, but they're actually disengaging the buyer who's going through that self-service journey. I'm Steven Spears, and this is the future the future the future of customer engagement and experience podcast welcome to the fcee podcast presented by the future of be sure to head over to the site to stay up to date on all things customer experience and check out the show notes after you get done with this episode check out this week's article of the week it's all about guided selling which is really applicable to what we're talking about in this episode I'm excited about this topic because there is much debate around it, specifically probably on LinkedIn. You might have seen two or three different posts arguing back and forth about this. And that's about the role of salespeople in a digital world. But as B2B organizations are deciding their sales strategies, my guest today points out there are several points to consider about how, where, and when to leverage sales relationships versus digital self-service. My guest is Jody Simmons. I hope you find our conversation as insightful as I did. Hi, podcasties. I'm Jody Simmons, and I actually work in the customer experience advisory organization. I am what they call a B2B insights director. So basically what that means, Stephen, is I go out into the world. I find industry trends and topics. I talk with SAP customers uh, that are trying to make you know transformations in their CX space, and I bring all that together so that we can have podcasts like this based on real world uh, things that are happening, and then also be able to kind of look forward and and identify and spot any things that are coming, any innovations that that B2B businesses need to be considering. And we can all share that together. So it's a really exciting job. And actually, if I'm aspiring to a job, I would say that I want to be the Beyonce of SAP, like super fancy people just listen to what I do. You know, that's, <laughs> that's my aspiration. So, Oh man, I already have the clip now for the promotional material for this episode. Of, nice. I love let it. Let me welcome you to Jody. No, that's, that's really cool. And, and I think that role, especially um, uh, we do a lot of across the entire uh, industry of talking about what's forward looking, what's these new trends. We do it on this podcast all the time you have that perspective of talking to customers and these actual businesses that are telling you what they're looking to do to be able to make those type of predictions. So I think that that type of uh, insight is going to be super valuable for this. And we don't find as much as we'd like to. We'll see. That's where I'm Beyonce. There you go. <laughs> no, so that's perfect. So I'd love to get uh, learn a little bit more about, you know, kind of your background with business because you haven't obviously always been in this world at SAP, right? Sure, sure. So I actually spent 14 years with a heavy equipment manufacturer uh, doing so many different roles there. I started in corporate public affairs, and that led me into just a patchwork quilt of different types of activities within the organization, Uh, digital strategy, e-commerce, marketing automation. I was in autonomous mining technology for a while, which was a huge eye-opener in terms of innovation, Uh, learning and development. Um, sales development is a big one. And we're going to talk about sales today. So that's kind of some of the experience that I'm bringing to the table there. So it was fun. And it was a fun 14 years. And I've actually had even more fun coming to SAP. So I'm excited for this conversation. 
Yeah. Autonomous mining. That is something that has never been on my horizon. And it, it makes you think too, uh, if, if they can do all that, then surely we can get, you know, uh, sales and sales automation all right. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. That's funny. So, I mean, and that's really what we're hitting on with this episode is, you know, B2B organizations, they're deciding their sales strategies. And there's really a lot to consider about now when to leverage sales relationships, in-person type of engagements. But then also now the reality of the world is digital self-service and digital engagements are important. So I'm actually going to step back several years. I'm not going to say how many because I don't want (laughs) to age myself Uh, for a personal story. Uh, My dad and I, um, he was a salesman for a textile manufacturer. And so him and I used to go on sales calls together when I was bored or out of school. We would, you know, load up the car. He would have his thermos of coffee. I would have my thermos of hot chocolate and we would go on the road, right, to meet with his his customers. And everywhere we went, he would step in. There would be friendly jokes. It was this amazing rapport and relationship that he had with his customers. And they would look through his sample book and they would say, okay, I want this, this, and this. My dad would write it on a ticket. Then he would take it back to someone in an office who would then say, okay, we have this this availability. We have this configuration. Here's what the price is going to be. So a lot of that back-end work happened after the deal was made, basically. My dad made the deal and then the back office kind of made it happen. And the difference now is that everything is a 180 degree difference from that. It has just been flipped completely around. So the customer goes in and gathers all of their relevant info about the back part of the product, the availability, the pricing, um, all of that work. And then the front end is is where the sales team comes in now. So it's flip-flopped in responsibility. And so I think we need to talk today about where does the sales team most effectively fit in because they do have a place. Yeah, no, and that, and that's interesting too because with all of this being available now to the customer, uh, you, you would think now you just present it all to the customer and they can do it all themselves. Uh, but it, it's really not that easy though, right? No, no. So self-service can fill a big need, right? So 80% of buyer's journey will happen before they even interact with sales. But in the B2B space, self-service has its limits. So for an example, let's say I'm a project engineer and I'm responsible for planning a large-scale infrastructure project. Happens all the time, right? And I'm looking to fit my job site with generators, many of them, because it's a big infrastructure project. So I go online, I research, I find models that suit my needs from a configuration standpoint. And then I gather all the facts to support what I believe I should purchase for my job site. But then what happens? What if I purchase the equipment online and it's not available by my project deadline because, you know, B2B has operational considerations, they have shipping and logistics considerations, Or what if there are other components or equipment that will be required that I didn't think about and I wouldn't necessarily know because I'm not a generator expert. I'm I'm an infrastructure expert. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what if they get to my job site and the product is wrong? Then what happens? I lose time and I lose efficiency. So depending on the location, the delay of just one day can result in tens of thousands of dollars, and then the price will escalate from there. So that's where you need that expertise of the sales team to come in at the bottom of the funnel right before the purchase to 
to validate the details, make sure the customer has the right experience with the right product at the right time. So that salesperson becomes the brand at that point in time and helps make sure that customer expectations are met. A digital strategy can't necessarily do that alone. Interesting. So it sounds like in a sense, it's it's unloading a lot of the operational things to the customer that they can now access and making your sales team more of a, a consultant uh, than necessarily uh, the person to actually sell them on what they need. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing about it too, is that, you know, what this does is it empowers salespeople to go into more value added activity that they actually enjoy. I mean, no one goes into sales just because they want to do administrative work. They don't want to go in and be looking at inventories and pricing. And that's not what they came into the role to do. Many of them, besides coming in to make money, (laughs) obviously, because we all have to have jobs, um, come into it because they really want to be able to flex their expert muscles, right? Be able to identify an industry where they're strong and help customers succeed in that industry. And this allows for that, right? It takes all that administration, the work that they don't want to do, it puts it on the customer, so to speak, and then allows them to come in and make sure that that customer experience is optimized. Yeah. And it's nice in the sense too, because, you know, I can speak as someone who's a a customer um, uh, that, in a lot of cases, we want to do all that extra work nowadays because that's just the way that that things are changing. You know, going and researching prices and and looking at the different uh, options and all—that's not a burden anymore for a customer. You know, it's almost exciting in a weird way. Yeah, it's a control thing, right? You want to be able to control the collection of data in your research and discovery phase, and you want to be able to find the information that you need to be successful in doing that. And I think that's where B2B kind of goes wrong, to be honest. Um, So what they do a lot of times, and it's unfortunate, is they don't expose the details that you as a buyer will need to be able to complete a transaction. And so, um, you know, they'll gate content, they'll do other things that they think are being very helpful to their internal business, but they're actually disengaging the buyer who's going through that self-service journey. Interesting. So it's, it's really, you know, we call it gated content in a way, but it is keeping that gate there to think that you have to get through this hurdle before you need to know this information. And and they're almost hurting themselves in, okay, we're going to do self-service, but it's, you know, basically here's some photos or something like that. Is that essentially how they're doing it? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, sometimes I've seen customers that will gate their product specifications. Hmm. So imagine you're in this, this, Space. Let's go back to the project engineer example. You need some very custom information. You need to know if a piece of equipment that you're buying is going to be fit for use for what you need it for. So imagine I'm in that role and I go out to try and find a product with a brand that I trust and they won't let me in to be able to see that kind of information to make my appropriate decision. There's no way for me to compare products. There's no way for me to determine if I can have some price uh, price savings or if I need to really go um, into the top tier categories. I can't decide any of that if I don't have the right information. Mm-hmm. And, and would, you know, theoretically, if you could find somebody or a vendor that would give you that info, you'd be more inclined to buy from them, right? 
Absolutely. And that's the hard part right now, right? Because that's where the the takeover of digital over the sales relationship has has really uh, caused B2B brands a lot of anxiety and kind of a lot of customers, right? They've lost a lot of customers in some instances because they're just, they, they haven't moved their line of thinking into understanding that they need to kind of get over their own internal image of what should be available and actually give the customer what it is they're looking for. Because customers will jump brands. They don't have the same allegiances and, and loyalty that they used to. And without that salesperson there to even drive that loyalty home even more, you know, customers will migrate. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned uh, specifications as something that that companies will keep behind a gate. Are there other areas that that you've seen that um, in doing self-service, there's not enough context or or things that are kind of hidden? <laughs> uh, yes, pricing. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, how much and, is it going to cost me? Right. And here, so here's the thing. Everybody, everybody in B2B interacts online in their regular life, right? Mm-hmm. So it's funny not funny. It's, it's interesting (laughs) that, that B2B organizations will sit in a boardroom and they will make decisions about not exposing pricing for a variety of reasons. Right. And they say, oh, well, the customers will think that that's the end price for them. Or, oh, we want them to contact us for pricing because we feel like that's going to help build that relationship even further. And all of those ideas that come, that bubble up related to the reasons not to expose pricing, again, can make customers come completely alienated from the brand and walk away. Um, And pricing, I mean, if you think about context of pricing just in life, in the world, if you don't have a ballpark figure for how much something is going to cost you and you've never purchased that product before, your buying decision is greatly compromised. So, I have another example, and this is, again, going to be a consumer example because I think those help drive home some of the topics that we're covering. But Mm -hmm. let's imagine you're buying a house, right? You're moving completely across the country with your family and you need a home for you and your family and purchasing seems like the right move. So you've you've weighed all the options and purchasing is the way you want to go. So you do what everybody does and you go online to search for homes and you go to say like realestate.com, right? You go out there and there are 50 listings by different realtors that meet your criteria that you've put in. But one realtor, realtor number one, let's call them, uh, doesn't show pricing for their listed homes. It says call for details. So let me ask you, like how right past that bad boy, (laughs) (laughs) right? I was like, the question was going to be, how likely is it that you're just going to call them up and say, tell me more about? No, as you were saying it, I was picturing myself scrolling right past it. Uh, Same thing. It's same thing. We just bought a car, um, and there are some listings when you go online uh, that you'll scroll through. You've literally put in the model you want, the color you want, even the the price range you're looking in. And then there's some listings that'll say call dealer for special pricing. And it's like, <laughs> no, there's 20 other cars right here that I can see exactly how much it's going to cost. So that that's hilarious. I mentally pictured that as you were talking okay. through it. Well, and it's funny because I can guarantee you that the executives at that particular dealership sat down and said, you know what? People are going to engage with us more if we don't tell them the price. (laughs) They're going to think that they're going to get an extra special price if they call us, right? So someone made that decision and they made it for reasons that were very valid probably in that room at that time. 
But what they weren't thinking about is what is it that you want? What is it that the customer wants to have access to, to be able to move them through the sales funnel? And flying blind on pricing, that's not (laughs) what anybody (laughs) wants, right? (laughs) So question, did you call any of those car places? Oh, well, no, absolutely not. Uh, we we found the one that was a great deal on the initial price, um, and we called and set up a test drive. And, and within a day, we had the car. I mean, it, it was that quick of, because like you said, the picture, we could see exactly what we were getting. Obviously, it was different seeing it in person. We still had to work with um, a salesperson there at the dealership. But I mean, by the time we got to the dealership, it was basically as long as there's not a giant red stripe across the side of this car uh, that we didn't see and it it runs. I mean, we're basically going to buy this thing. So uh, that actually leads me to an interesting follow up question I had, which was, does the the salesperson's uh, importance now, is it diminished because customers can do much more themselves? No, I don't think so at all. I think that 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 salesperson really becomes the final leg of the relay. And I mean, as we know, the, you know, if you want to use the relay analogy, if if the team is behind, the final leg of the relay is they're the ones that can take it across the finish line, right? They're the ones that can speed up the race. And so, like we talked about earlier, that admin work used to bog down salespeople. And now they can spend their time understanding their industry. They can spend their time bringing in the right resources for their customer. And that's another thing that is becoming more and more prevalent out in the workspace for B2B is bringing in highly expert individuals, even alongside of the sales team. So the customer is empowered with all the information they need. So the sales guy may not know all of the specifications about a a newly introduced model of say a, I don't know, let's say a skid steer, right? But there may be an expert in his company that does. And his job then can be to connect that expert in with his customer. So it becomes so much more of an informed relationship versus a relationship that's only built on personal uh, personal back and forth. It can be an informed relationship that builds trust and loyalty. Yeah. And, and it really is because now, uh, you know, I, from my at least personal experiences, again, it's B2C of when you interact with different companies, you picture it as you're interacting with this brand. Um not necessarily I interact with their website and then I interact with their sales team and they're different things. Mm -hmm. Um, So that shift necessarily kind of has to uh, be a, a smooth process all the way down, down the path, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have another example about that. Uh, And so I was actually at a car dealer a while back. Again, we're going to use the consumer experience because we've all bought a car, right? Mm -hmm. And the guy was telling me how he likes to use a lot of visual buying cues and smart salespeople on a, on a car lot. This is, this is actually game changer for them, right? Mm -hmm. So as he's looking at the customer's old car that they're trading in, he may look in the trunk and, you know, see a yoga mat or see some golf clubs, right? And that gives him some buying cues. If, if he sees golf clubs, then he knows 
the likelihood that those belong to the person who has the car currently <laughs> is pretty good, right? Yeah. And that that person might be a golfer. That gives him a chance to kind of add on to what the customer might have said they're looking for and be able to add some additional flavor and context to the cars that they're looking at. He can talk more about cargo room. He can talk more about how you can fit uh, you know, X amount of luggage, but then also you could fit golf clubs in the back of your car, right? I mean, there's a lot of ways that he can start to go down that path based on the visual data he has. And the cool part now and where the intersection of uh, digital and sales person comes very, very, has a lot of power is understanding that customer before the sales engagement. So now we have customer data tools that give us such a huge amount of data and a really accurate picture of them as a buyer, of their company, of the types of products and the buying patterns they have. And we have all of that up front. So imagine what that does for the salesperson and their effectiveness and their ability to bring in the right experts at the right time to be able to walk that customer through a confident purchase. So that's where they intersect. They just need to both the digital teams and the sales teams they need to understand that and they need to understand the influence that they can have on one another. Yeah. So is there, have you seen a, I guess there, is there any really standard framework to kind of put in here that you could say, here's a good way to get started of knowing how to help your customers start digitally and then hand over to sales is, I guess, is there one way to do it or is it something you just kind of have to figure out yourself? So I, I don't think there's one way, but I do think there is one magic bullet that makes it possible. And that is to bring the sales team and the digital team together for some of this planning. <laughs> and <laughs> what an idea. <laughs> I know, right? But here's the thing, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I mean, in some companies it does and they're, you know, they're working really hard to innovate and streamline what those processes look like. But as most of what we see right now, it's it's not common for the planning processes to go across sales and digital and marketing, right? Because they all play in the same space. And so bringing everyone into the room and then mapping out what is what is the customer experience? What is what does it need to be with the brand? Where do they start? Where can they get what they need? And then where did the handoffs happen? And what is the expectation? Now, one of the things that digital will tell you is that there is not a feedback loop. So once it goes to sales, if they send a lead, they don't know what happens to that lead. They don't know what happens with that customer or a CRM tool that's being used by sales doesn't necessarily feed digital. So those are some of the connectivity and the the silo busting <laughs> that needs to happen so that everyone can not just look out for their own space within an enterprise, but can look at the whole end to end for the customer. And like you said, right now that, you know, it's like one journey exists for digital and then another one exists for sales and they're just not coming together as quickly as they probably need to right now, especially with the acceleration that B2B has had uh, to digital selling. Yeah. And especially, I mean, in a lot of cases, uh, when you're selling to other businesses, the, the products and the process is so much more of uh, uh, all over the place type of an engagement of, okay, I go read a little bit of information. 
Um, you know, like for example, we were looking at, at a vendor for some software here uh, internally and the process just for me, because obviously I'm not making this decision in a vacuum, was going to three or four different websites, uh, looking at specifications, checking out the, the actual software, then sending it to my boss and saying, hey, check this out. This could be useful what we're looking to solve. Then they would probably have to pass it to two or three other people. And then, you know, we might check out the website. Someone might eventually and probably will reach out to someone with the, the vendor's sales team to learn more. But so much moving parts is happening that if your company isn't talking about what everybody is learning, I'm sure that you don't get anywhere very quickly. Right. Yeah. I mean, customers have different expectations uh, at different parts of their journey. And I think sometimes um, organizations forget to ask them. They forget to ask them what's working well. What part of our company do you enjoy working with? What, what part is clunky? And then I think one other element to add into this, uh, you know, because we, we kind of uh, stopped with sales, but then there's also probably for a future podcast of some sort, the handoff between sales and service. Because again, if service isn't done properly, then when the whole process of discovery and research begins, they might just not consider your brand at all. So um, I think bringing all of the end-to-end together and helping understand the customer's expectations at each of those critical touch points is what's going to help drive that internal process that makes the customers feel valued and known and uh, loyal. No, that's perfect. No, this has been great, Jody. So I, I do love to end on some action points. I'm curious if you have uh, any tips or ideas for, say, you know, a, a commerce leader in a business on a few things they can do today to help foster better self-service on their digital site. And then uh, I'll, I'll be curious to get the flip side as well from the sales, but starting with for a commerce leader, what they could do today to just make uh, a self-service experience just a little bit better. So I think there are two things that a commerce leader can do. Uh, Number one, they can talk to their customers. They can do, so it's like a discovery session with customers instead of a discovery session with a brand and just talk about what is it that you feel like is appropriate for self-service for you? And what is it that you would like to still engage personally on? And it's just very important for folks to do that. And it's a step that's usually skipped a lot. And a lot of smart people sit in a room and they, they come up with what they believe is right for the customer and they overthink it. And they try to do a complete dismantling of whatever they've built on a commerce platform and try to make it everything to everyone. And so understanding what your customers expect. And you know, I would say to take it back a step, prioritize your customer segments. And understand what customer segments do you want to start with first? And then from there, find out what it is that they want and make sure that sales is in that conversation. And so when you were in your um, your days in the industry, did you ever have a, a company reach out to you and ask you what, what you were looking for in your experience? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would have because that's the thing. I mean, and I do know how much companies spend to, to have these efforts and to have these project teams and the time and the resources that it takes to put in. And things that I've heard before are when they ask their customers about a website, right? Or a portal or whatever it may be that sometimes customers say, I really like it. Don't change a thing. 
And meanwhile, they're 75% way down the path and have spent millions of dollars to try and completely switch up their commerce because they think it has to go in a specific direction that customers are saying, no, we don't need that. So I think asking, especially on the front end, is game changer. Yeah. Well, and and to your point from earlier too, of, you know, if if they come back and nobody says they need to see the pricing because they're like, look, it's set prices, you know, we already know what we're going to pay. We need, you know, to know more about what are our color options or things like that. That's something mm-hmm. you can learn versus just saying, you know, well, Jody said we need to show them pricing. Obviously it's important, yep. but, you know, validate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> Ask your customers. I, I would love to see in the boardroom of someone being like, well, I, on the podcast, Jody said that we need to uh, expose our pricing. So guys, we're, we're new initiative. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, you know, someone would want to throw tomatoes at me or something if they, you know. <laughs> but that also leads to then the flip side, you know, as a sales leader, how, what would you say is a good way to, uh, and, and I don't know if maybe equip your salespeople to engage with digital better, but more uh, make sure that they have a stake in that handoff process. I think one of the first things is mindset shift. I think that sales teams have started to feel very vulnerable and very marginalized. And I think because they keep hearing stats about, you know, X amount of people want to have their transactions online and X amount of buyers don't want to interact with a salesperson until we threw one of those stats out today. Right. Um, So I think they're, they're feeling vulnerable and I think helping them understand in the process where the importance of their expertise comes in is probably one of the most critical sales leadership um, priorities that should be in place and helping them understand this is, we have flipped the script on you, but this is a beneficial way that we're going to move forward that helps our customers succeed and helps you succeed as a salesperson. So there's that element and helping a mind, sh- a mind shift um, occur across the entire sales team. And then I think the second piece of it is to make sure that your sales team is placed in to the discussions about digital. Um, And actually, your sales team can also be the people who help you collect that voice of customer for digital. So they can reach out to their known customers. They can talk to the customers they're working with every day. And they can ask questions about, you know, I I know we love working together. What would you like to see available to you online to make our discussions more meaningful? What kind of configurations would you like to be able to do online? And then what would you prefer to do with me by your side as a salesperson? So the salesperson can be the one who's able to collect that voice of customer with their current relationships. I like the way you frame that too, because uh, when you first start down that path, you think it's a tough conversation because you're asking them, what would you like to do without me more? Um, <laughs> but but the way you framed it was much better of, of what can we do together or what can we provide to make our interactions uh, more impactful? I think that's a, a really cool way of, of having a mindset about it. Yeah. Thank Perfect. you. Yeah. No, you're welcome. I mean, only the Beyonce of SAP would have ideas like that. <laughs> Right. I feel like that one's going to haunt me, Stephen. So <laughs> sadly, I'm not uh, as good with video editing or else it would be a, a photoshopped 
face on there with like <laughs> one of her her concerts for the the teaser for this episode. But uh, yes, well, put me put me in a gold outfit dancing really well. <laughs> if, if you're ever gonna do that, please. <laughs> um, or getting off a jet slow walking because that's that's go. you know that's VIP right there. Thanks again to Jody for joining us this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes to find a link to Jody's article on this topic, as well as the link to the article of the week and other resources that might be valuable to you to read after listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as leave us a rating and review if you feel led to do so. And shoot us a note if you would like to see any improvements or future guests here on the FCEE podcast. I'm Steven Spears, and this is the Future of Customer Engagement and Experience podcast. See you next time.